I remember this was one of those few chapters in scripture that I didn't remember hearing a teaching about or like reading about in Sunday school before coming across it in my personal devils. Like it, it was just such a sweet experience to kind of for the first time find something in God's word on your own. I don't know if you've had that experience, but it's, it's just a chapter that the more I keep coming back to it, there, there's something else to glean from. It's so special. Um, so the title for tonight's study is A Better Covenant, A Better Covenant. So if you're there in Genesis 15, I was reminded of another announcement, and then we'll pray again, and that's that today is the last day to pre-order for the ladies' merch. So we have those woven hoodies, so if you would like to get one, they'll be here before Christmas, and again, you can, have, you can find more info at calvarymiami.com slash ladies. So you can order them once they're here and you see them, but today is the last day to get that discounted price in case you wanted to bless someone for Christmas or yourself. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you again just for your word, God, that you have provided us with a better covenant, Lord, that we can enter your presence into, Lord, because of you, Jesus. So I pray you would just bless your word. Um, God, bless the listeners, God, that we would truly be not just hearers, but doers of your word, God. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen. Hebrews 7 verse 22 says, By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Again, that reference is Hebrews 7 verse 22. And as I kept dwelling on this word, this idea of a better covenant, a better covenant, um, I instantly started thinking of a wedding. I don't know what was the latest wedding you've been to. Maybe the bride wore a very sparkly dress or maybe something more simple. Um, but chances are you probably remember the first wedding you ever attended, especially if you were a little girl. Uh, there were different traditions and aspects of this special union that just captured your attention. The music and flowers that filled the space. Maybe you heard scattered sobs as, you know, tears of joy and happiness were abounded. Uh, there's a story of a little kid who attended his very first wedding. And about halfway through the ceremony, he leans over and asks his mom, Mommy, why is the bride dressed all in white? So his mom whispered back, because it's the happiest day of her life. So almost immediately he replied, then why is the groom dressed all in black? <laughs> um, but what we're going to look at tonight is just three different aspects that go into a marriage and how that correlates with the covenant that here God is presenting with Abram. So again, the title of our teaching is just A Better Covenant. And now we're going to look at how throughout scripture, right, since the beginning, God has used marriage to be this symbol of his love for us, how we are that bride of Christ. Even since the garden, right, even before sin entered the world, he has been painting this picture of his love for us through a wedding. So the first part of a marriage, again, just looking at it almost just from like, okay, step one, step two, in order for two people to be married, there has to be a proposal, right? So the first step is a proposal. And this is something which is said, right? I want to will you 
And we see that there in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What are these things that happened earlier, after which the word of the Lord came to Abram? Well, we see that he is likely afraid, fearing retribution from the kings that he had just defeated. And that's probably why the very first thing that the Lord speaks to him is, Abram, do not be afraid. Even after such an outstanding victory, he's in the middle of wrestling with his feelings. And the Lord appears to him with a beautiful proposal. What is a proposal? Well, it's the act of putting forward or stating something for consideration, right? It's just a proposal. Will you consider this? I'm putting forward something for your consideration. Another definition is something that is proposed or offered, specifically an offer of marriage. And at first, it seems like Abram had a hard time believing that God's heart was to bless him. As we continue reading there in verse 2, it says, But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. And count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. In verse 6, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord. And the Lord, he accounted it to him for righteousness. What a beautiful picture of salvation by grace through faith alone. We see here how the Lord affirms his word to Abram. And Abram believed the Lord. Not just what the Lord said. It doesn't say, oh, then Abram believed what he said. But it says he believed in the Lord. And that's what was accounted to him for righteousness. I also love that in the midst of Abram struggling with his feelings, he's afraid, he's sad, he's hopeless maybe, that the Lord tells him, look up. Right? And that's what we need to do so often when we find ourselves wrestling with our feelings. We need that perspective change. Instead of looking inward or looking outward where we'll just find more fear and more sadness, we need to change our perspective. We need to look up. This particular promise of count the stars if you are able to number them and that your descendants are going to be as such is repeated to Abram two more times. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, God repeats, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And then again, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, where it says, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your descendants all the lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, remember, Abram dwelt in tents. He slept outside under these stars. So anytime maybe he had a restless night, he would go out for a walk. 
what would be greeting him there? The stars, reminders of God's faithfulness, that his promise was going to be exceedingly, abundantly, everything we could ask or imagine. And I love that even though this is just to be a sign of the promise that God gave Abram, we see that it is fulfilled. You see, Joseph in his dream even refers to some of Abram's offspring as stars, Right When he talks about, hey guys, I had this dream, and there was this moon, and there was this sun, and these, these 11 stars. Like such a random number, such a random symbol to represent what? The offspring of Abram. And then later on, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 10, Moses says, the Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude, right? So here they are 430 years, right, after their affliction there in Egypt, entering the promised land, and God puts it on Moses' heart to say and to write the fact that they were as such in number as the stars in heaven. He repeats the same idea again in Deuteronomy 10, chapter 22, where it reads, your fathers went down to Egypt with just 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Even in the time of the kings with David, in 1 Chronicle 27, 23, where David was doing a census, even though he shouldn't have, the Lord reminded him that he would multiply Israel like the stars of heaven. Again, in Nehemiah 9, 23, Nehemiah prays, you also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you have told their fathers to go in and possess. And finally, in Hebrews 11, which if you're following the Bible reading plan, you know was um, part of our reading this week. It says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky of, of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. God always keeps his covenants, my friend. And he will do the same in your life as he did for Abram. Now, it didn't take a year, it didn't take two years, right? And Abraham never saw this fulfillment, right, to this extent on this side of eternity, right? But I have to believe that any time someone else entered into heaven and it's like, oh, there goes another star. Oh, there goes another grain of sand. The results of Abram's belief in the Lord, again, not just in what he said, but in the Lord himself, was righteousness. That is the result of Abram's belief. But if he were tried to create his own righteousness, we know that it would have just resulted in filthy rags. And the same is true for us tonight, ladies. If we believe God, if we take him at his word, that is going to create and produce righteousness in our lives because Jesus had already won it. So all we have to do is live life from that point of victory. But if we try to earn that righteousness or create it in our own strength, the only result will be, as Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us, filthy rags. Again, that reference is Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. And so that was the first section, the proposal. Now we'll look at another aspect of, of a wedding, of marriage, of, of this contract, this covenant that is marriage. In the following verses of Genesis chapter 15, we'll read through verses 7 through 16. 
Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven. And we'll get to uh, verse 17 in a moment, but there from verses 7 through 16, we see the vows, right? We see the vows. So the first part is like the proposal, but now we see the vows. And this is where it's really sealed, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. Our vows and covenants to the Lord are no longer based on our sacrifices as they once were. Even here in this picture, right? Abram was the one that had to labor. He had to work. He had to find this heifer. I wouldn't know the first place to find one, but Abram knew. He knew exactly where to go to get this heifer. He found a female goat. He found a pigeon and a turtle dove. He knew the difference between a pigeon and a turtle dove, and he brought them there. And then not only that, he went about the very bloody work of splitting these animals in two. Hebrews 10 Verse 11 through 13 reminds us, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. These sacrifices could only cover them. In verse 12, But this man, right, Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Again, that's Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 13. Now our relationship with the Lord is based solely on the blood of Jesus. The new covenant is based on his sacrifice alone once and for all. We see this idea also in Hebrews 8. I was uh, sharing earlier in, um, in just some time with, with some of the group leaders and, and servants just how sweet it's been to be going through Hebrews while going through this chapter. And just that word covenant popping up over and over again. Girls, if you're not on a reading plan, have a November 12th end of year resolution and start reading the Bible. I mean... Think about it. With the few days that we have left in the year, 
you will be blessed so much. And then that'll get you started for next year. And just pick up right with the church reading plan. If, if it seems like too much, too much time, just go through the New Testament and the Psalm and Proverb of the day. Or just go through the Old Testament and the Proverbs and Psalm of the day. You can do it. There are so many reading plans out there. Um, and if you've already started one and it's been a while, start back up. The Lord wants to speak to you. I know I was so blessed preparing for this and then going through my devils and it was like, oh, and everything was just correlating. And he does. He wants to speak to us. He wants to show us and renew his covenant with us. So back to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 10. We can turn there. We have time tonight. So Hebrews is towards the end of the Bible. It's after all the T-letter books. Um, but before the first and second and uh, Peter's and John's. So there in Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 6. And we'll read through verse 10. Hebrews 8 verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. There's that word again, which was established on better promises. Hebrews 8 verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach their neighbor, his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I love how the writer of Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah, which we also were able to look at in our study of that promise of this new and better covenant that the Lord desired to establish with his people. And the fact that it is no longer based on the sacrifice and the blood of bulls, but that it happened once and for all through Jesus. So the next official part of a marriage, right, in order for, for this to take place, this union, you need a marriage certificate, right? So you have proposal, you have vows, and you need a marriage certificate. And this is something that is signed, right? So the proposal is just something said, right, something for consideration. The vows are something that sort of seal it, right? You're, you're here promising now these things to each other, but a marriage certificate, right? That's another step. That's something where now you are signing on the dotted line. And we see that there in Genesis 15. We'll go back to the beginning of our, our Bibles there, Genesis 15, and just the last couple of verses where the covenant actually takes place. Genesis 15, again, we'll read verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down 
and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. David Guzik explains this part for us. He says, In those days, contracts were made by the sacrificial cutting of animals. With the split carcasses of the animals lying on the ground, the covenant was made when the parties to the agreement walked through the animal parts together, and they would out loud repeat the terms of the covenant. The Lord made a covenant in Genesis 15, is literally translated, the Lord cut a covenant. Maybe that's where we get that idea of like cutting a deal. Right? So we see in Jeremiah 34, verses 18 to 20, Guzik goes on to explain, it makes a reference to the same practice of a covenant by cutting animals and repeating the oath of the covenant as one walks through the animal parts. The symbolism was plain. First, this is a covenant so serious it is sealed with blood. Second, if I break this covenant, it means let this same bloodshed be poured out on me and my household and my animals. When Abram had his doubts and wanted assurance from the Lord, God said to him clearly, let's sign a contract and settle this once and for all. Hebrews 12.24 reminds us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and that his blood being sprinkled speaks of better things than that of Abel. And I love how it even predates this covenant that the Lord made with Abram, that since the beginning, his heart has been to be the one that walked through and made the covenant with us. I loved the portion that we got to review there in Jeremiah of days being promised of a new covenant. Um, and I'm gonna read a couple of those specific verses, again, because we read so much of it in Hebrews. But let's go ahead and turn there. In Jeremiah, towards the middle of our Bible now, Jeremiah chapter 31. And again, I love this portion so, so much. Just God's heart, because you have to remember, Israel is in the thick of their rebellion. Like they are refusing to honor the Lord. And the worst part is they keep coming to Jeremiah. Okay, okay, okay. This time we promise we're going to obey him. We promise, we promise. Just tell us. Give it to us. Like shoot me straight, shoot me straight. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He's like, okay, guys, go to Babylon. No, we're not going to Babylon. We're staying here. It's like, <laughs> okay, you can't win. And then finally he says, okay, okay, stay here, stay here. No, 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 that's okay. We'll leave. And it's like, uh, like just their rebellious heart. But in the midst of this, in the midst of their, their turning their back on the Lord, of them reaping the consequences for their sin, of the temple about to be destroyed, throwing Jeremiah in a pit, getting Jeremiah out of a pit, throwing him in jail, all these things going on, the Lord like stops the scene and he says, guys, this looks really bad right now, but the days are coming where there's gonna be a new covenant. 
and it's not going to be based on your sacrifices anymore. I'm going to make the sacrifice. Because even in our attempts to make covenants with the Lord, they're broken and they're insufficient and they can only cover for a short time. And the Lord says, I so desperately long to be with you, my daughter, that I'm going to provide a sufficient sacrifice in my son. And verse 35 tells us of Jeremiah 31, thus says the Lord, and look at the symbolism he uses, as if almost referring to that very light that we saw pass through the covenant carcasses. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. He goes on to say, thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hanel to the corner gate. And if we go up a few more verses, we see again his heart for them in verse 32 that this covenant, this new one that he's establishing is not gonna be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, and look at his relationship with them, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. And again, just that desire that the Lord has to be with us, to be with us. In conclusion, I was so blessed by what Sandy Adams had to say. Again, just about this last part that, you know, here Abram is, and he's swatting away vultures, and he's waiting. He knows the Lord's going to show up. I mean, the Lord had shown up to him before, and he's waiting. He's like, okay, we're going to walk through this together. We're going to make this covenant together. We're going to pass by all this hard work. And he falls asleep, and he's filled with dread, and he has this nightmare as the sun is setting. And as he wakes up, maybe he just catches a glimpse of that light as it finished walking through that covenant. And this is what Sandy Adams writes. He says, Abram was expecting God to join arms with him, and the two of them would walk together. But God walked down the corridor by himself. Abram was asleep. In other words, this was a unilateral, a totally one-sided covenant. This was not man's part and God's part. It was all God. He would complete his promises all by himself. Man's obligation was simply to rest and to put his faith in God. While Abram was in a deep sleep, God appeared in the form of a burning torch and a smoking censer. Later, God will appear to Abraham's descendants as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Perhaps Abram woke up just in time to see God walk down the carcass corridor all by himself. Abram woke up, looked on, and believed. And here's the lesson for us. Salvation is not a tag team effort. It's not up to us to meet God halfway. The blessing of God is not received by God doing half the work and the recipient doing the other half. God does 
all the work. And isn't this exactly what happened at the cross? The light of the world was slain between two thieves all alone so that even God the Father had abandoned him as Christ embodied the sins of all the world for all of time and more personally as he took on my every sin, your every sin, every hateful whisper, every backbiting tongue, every lack of gratitude or complaint, thought of lust or envy, Jesus died for me for all of those sins that I might enter into a covenant relationship with him forever. And even as these animals were split into, we know that at the moment of his death, the veil was torn asunder, broken in two, so that for the first time, all of humanity could have access to that holy of holies. This is why in communion, Jesus explains that this is the blood of the new covenant. Again, as we looked at in the beginning, by so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. You see, Jesus became that sacrifice, right? That bull that was torn in two for us. He was the signatory, and ladies, he is the prize of our covenant. All at once, all at that same moment in history, at the cross, now our eternity is sure, our hope is certain because of the new covenant. Now we can look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb because of the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this better covenant. We thank you that the same God of Abraham that kept his promises, Lord, all those years later, God, that you desire to keep your covenant with us, Lord. So I just pray tonight, Lord, if anyone has not entered into this covenant of salvation, Lord, would you show her, God, how much she can trust you, how much she could love you, Lord, because you loved her first, God. Would you please stir it in her heart to see whoever was leading the group, Lord, to pray, to surrender her life to you, God, because you are a God who keeps your covenant, Lord, and you've done so much for us at the cross, Lord, and every blessing since, Lord. Help us to take you at your word, God. We love you, we need you, and it's in your name that we pray. Ladies, I just have this burning in my heart that maybe, um, yeah, there's someone here tonight that, that needs to enter into that covenant, so don't leave without doing business with God. And if you're saved, if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but maybe you've just been doubting his promises, just take some time to pray, to trust him, to not allow um, disappointment or a misapplication or thinking, God, I thought you were going to come down and walk down this covenant with me to keep you from believing him because what he has is so much better. Be blessed. <laughs>